the book of Exodus then picks up the story and tells the story of God rescuing his favored nation, the people of Israel now, from slavery in Egypt through a man named Moses. And after leaving captivity, they approached, so they approached the land, the promised land, but because of a lack of faith, they were unable to enter the promised land. And because of that, they were doomed to wander for 40 years in the wilderness, a place where things were harsh, not harsh like we're feeling today with the cold, but harsh for a lot of other reasons. There we go. Wow, that turned on. So 40 years wandering in the wilderness, still under the leadership of Moses. Then we come to the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, favorite devotional books, all the Bible. Those books primarily just establish laws for God's people. But the narrative of what happens to the people of God pretty much ends in Exodus and resumes again today in the book of Joshua. And you can see we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. I trust you'll have your Bible open there. The first chapter of the book of Joshua begins with a cataclysmic announcement that had a catastrophic effect on the nation of Israel. Look at the first verse. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, to properly understand this, we actually have to go back to the very end of the book of Deuteronomy. In the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the people of Israel are just about to enter into the promised land by crossing over the Jordan River. And Moses, because of problems that he had in his life, Moses is forbidden from entering the promised land. He's able to go up high on a mountain. He's able to see the promised land stretch out before him. But he's told by God, you're not going to be the one who's going to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. It's going to be your servant, or your servant Joshua. So Moses is up on a mountain by himself, and there on the mountain by himself, Moses dies, and the Lord buries him. So the situation that the people of Israel are facing as they are waiting at the bottom of that, of that mountain, standing by the banks of the Jordan, is that their leader has just ascended up into the mountain, and they're standing there waiting for him to come back. And, and into their waiting, God speaks to Joshua and drops the bombshell. Moses, the servant of the Lord, is dead. And that announcement, no doubt, sent shockwaves through the nation of Israel, as it does in our lives when someone, very, someone we love and respect very unexpectedly passes away. But for Israel now, the great lawgiver who had led them for 40 years through the wilderness was dead. The one who had freed them from slavery in Israel, in Egypt, was dead. The one who had mediated their survival in the wilderness because there were times that God said to Moses, I'm just going to wipe them out. And if you are a parent of small children, you know that feeling. 
I'm just going to wipe them out. And Moses pleads, Lord, please, who will, who will praise your name if you do that? And so Moses had mediated their survival. And now Moses is dead. And this leads them to a question that we may sometimes face when we have a chance to begin again, a chance to start over. And that question is, what do we do now? Oh, no. We weren't anticipating this. We didn't think that our leader was going to be gone so quickly. So what do we do now? The nation of, of, of America has been here before. We have faced this. On April 14, 1865, President Lincoln was shot in the head. He died the next day. On April 12, 1945, a president who had been elected four times, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, died. November 22, 1963, a day before my first birthday. Now you're calculating. Don't, don't do that. President Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. April 4, 1968, when I was nine years old, Martin Luther King was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. Every time those things happened, our nation was rocked and began to wonder, what do we do now? This has rocked us to our core, but none of these events, the death of these presidents, like the passing away of Moses, the leader of Israel, none of these, these deaths took God by surprise. And, and here's a principle that was, that was buried deep in one of my commentaries, and I loved the way, the way this principle is stated. Here's one principle that we learn from this. God buries his workers, but never his work. Isn't that a good thought? Leadership in any group or organization may change, but if it is the work of God, it goes on and it continues because God puts his blessing upon it. We know this because verse 2 continues with God saying to Joshua, Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving them to the people of Israel. What I learned from this is that there is no believer who is indispensable or non-expendable. God does not need us. We need him. And in the book of Numbers, Moses was wondering, who's going to replace me when that time comes for me to die? And, and it was a, a surprise to him that God revealed it's none other than his understudy and his servant, Joshua. And in the book of Numbers, Moses actually lays his hands on Joshua, symbolically transferring his authority from himself onto Joshua. And here in Joshua chapter 1, we're actually just seeing God activating what he had previously prescribed earlier. I find it fascinating that the word that follows the announcement of Moses' death is the word now. Now is a word of urgency. Israel had spent 400 years in bondage in Egypt, followed by 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. An entire generation had passed away because they lacked the faith to act now. 
to act when that faith was supposed to be put into practice. Enough time had been wasted. God says, okay, Moses is dead. God doesn't even say, okay, we're going to set aside 30 days of prayer and fasting. We're going to have a big memorial service, invite the whole nation to come up on the mountain to see where I'm... No, none of that. God says, Moses is dead. Now here, this is what we're going to do. We keep going. We keep moving. And after wondering what to do in facing this new beginning, then it becomes time to act on God's promises. As an incentive to get the people going now, as an incentive to get Joshua moving and actually doing the things that God tells them to do, if you look in verses 3-7, through God follows His command to do something with some incredible promises. Verses 3 and 4, there's a promise of land. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. And I want you to notice, this land had all ready been given to them. This is every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. It's not that it's going to become yours. It's already theirs. And in fact, it's the same territory that was given to them earlier in Genesis chapter 15 when God said the same thing to Abraham. Walk through the land. Every place where the sole of your foot touches, that's going to be your land. However, for in Joshua's case, they're not going to actually be able to take possession of the land until they they learn to step forward in faith in doing what God tells them to do. And that's what we're going to be exploring through the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is predominantly a story of what happens when people move forward in faith in what God tells them to do. Is there a reason why we're in Joshua? Absolutely. Because we're in a new year. And we've got four new initiatives, if you were with us last last week. And we've got to act in faith on these things. God gives Joshua the same boundaries that he gave to Abraham. Only an omniscient God could know the end from the beginning. Only an omnipotent God could accomplish through his people what he had promised to Abraham 500 years earlier. Does this get you excited about the kind of God that still reigns and rules today? And God said, here's going to be a promise to keep you motivated. You're going to get land. Look at the first part of verse 5, because here he promises them success. No man shall be able to stand stand before you all the days of your life. That kind of remind you of what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, where he says, if God is for us, who can stand against us? It doesn't deny the reality of opposition. He says, no man will be able to stand before you. It doesn't mean no man will try. There will be a lot of people who will come up against you. There will be a lot of people who won't like what you're doing There will be a lot of people who will think that the world would be better off without you guys. 
but none of them will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. A lifelong promise to Joshua. How incredible is that? Joshua and Israel, however, have to be obedient. And I can't help but think, what leader would not go forth in huge confidence if God promised them no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life? I think back 20 years ago when I, start, when I became the pastor of this church, and I think, what if God had said to me, Larry, because you're acting in obedience and you're coming in here to serve as pastor, here's what I'm going to promise you. Nobody will stand against you. You're going to be able to accomplish everything that you are. No pastors get that, right? He didn't give it to me, I guarantee you that. But what a promise to Joshua. Looking at the flooded Jordan, and we're going to talk about that later, the flooded Jordan River that stands between them and the promised land. And looking out over all the lands that are out there, and they know that out here are the lands of the Hittites and the Moabites and the, and the mosquito bites and the parasites and all the other, the people that are out there, and have God promise you, none of them are going to be able to stand up against you. You've got to be obedient. You've got to be faithful. What great confidence that must have been. And then the last part of verse 5, God promises his presence. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Joshua was one of only two people who survived that previous generation that came up against the promised land. And Joshua and Caleb were two of the spies that they sent in to survey the land. And when the spies came back, 12 of them, or 10 of them said, we can't do it. Man, there's giants in there. We look like grasshoppers in their, in their eyes. And yet Joshua and Caleb were the two men who said, if God is in this, there's nothing that could stop us. And so because of that, that whole generation passed away except Joshua and Caleb. They were the only two who had been with it through the whole time. They saw the miracles that God did for Moses. They were there when Moses stretched out his staff and the Red Sea parted. Wouldn't have been something to have seen that. Joshua did. God, Joshua was there to see the, the times when Moses went before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no way. And Moses said, there's going to be frogs in your face. There's going to be flies in your soup. There's going to be gnats. There's going to, the Nile River is going to turn to blood. Joshua saw all those things happen. And I can't help but think, you know what we call that in our terms today? Tuition. He was learning exactly what he needed to learn about an incredible God who now has said, as I have been with Moses, so I am going to be with you. And yet, God knew how frail we humans could be. And that's why he follows this promise of his presence with an encouragement there in verse 7. Be strong and courageous. Or in verse 5. 
He says it again in verse 7, be strong and courageous. He says it again in verse 9, be strong and courageous. Here's what I know. If God says something twice, that means it's really important. Moses was wandering on the backside of the desert. He noticed this bush that was burning but wasn't being consumed. And so he went over to check it out. And as Moses came up and approached that bush, a voice came out of that bush and said, Moses, Moses, you better pay attention. Saul was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians when suddenly he was down in the middle of the day and a voice came to him and said, Saul, Saul. Pay attention. If God says something twice, you better know it's something that deserves our attention. But if he says it three times, that's even more critical. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Now, having given these promises, why would, would God say to Joshua, be strong? And I can only think it had something to do with this. It's because God, because God knows that we are intrinsically and innately weak and cowardly people. That's the truth. We are not naturally strong, nor are we creatures of valor and courage. That's why God puts it in the form of a command. But the great thing here is we don't have to fake our faith. We don't have to fake our courage. It's perfectly fine for us to take our fear and, go, and take it to God and find the strength then to move forward in faith. You remember back in, in Mark, I think it's in Mark 9, Jesus has been up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's got his three, the, the inner three there with him, James and John and Peter, up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's transfigured before these three of his disciples. He comes down off of that mountain and he encounters a father who has a child, a son, who is possessed by a demon. And as he comes down off the mountain, this father goes to Jesus and said, Lord, please be merciful to my son. Your disciples weren't able to fix the problem. Remember this story? The disciples tried, but they couldn't fix this little boy who was struggling so much. And Jesus says, you've got to have faith. Do you remember what the father said? He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Can I tell you something? There's a great prayer to pray in 2024. I don't know what we're going to be facing. We've got to have faith, but we have to admit, we are frail, weak people that can fail God so often. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief unbelief. The Lord is looking for authentic faith, not fake faith, not feigned faith. It's okay to confess our fears and our anxieties and then wait on Him to embolden us. But we've got to take note that Joshua's strength and courage are directly tied to his obedience to God and his instructions. Look at verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. 
God tells Joshua, be, be courageous because he knew how weak and frail he was, just like all of us. But he says, here's the thing. You do what I tell you to do. You take a stand on me as I lead you forward. And you're going to have great success. Tremendous encouragement for Joshua. So you have to act on God's promises. Thirdly, what they had to do is they had to delight in the Lord. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Our world is inundated with preachers promising wealth and prosperity. This is not that. The Lord is talking here about a true prosperity that cannot be calculated in dollars and cents. It's a prosperity and richness that comes when we build our lives on the Word of God and then we rehearse it in our lives. This book of the law shall not depart from you. Meditate on it day and night. Sadly, for many Christians, including some of us here, the Word of God is an emergency ration to which we go when there's some sort of crisis in our lives. And frankly, that's not what God wants. It has to be a constant source of nutrition for our hearts and for our minds. That's what God's looking for. That's what he told Joshua. That's the thing that he told Joshua, that this is what has to happen. And if that happens, then you can rely on God bringing you God's understanding and God's definition of success, not man's. This is not a prosperity gospel that Joshua could say, oh, look at this, I got God in my pocket. Jingle my pocket and hear the change, right? No, it's not that at all. When we face these opportunities to start over, we've got to delight in the Lord. And then fourthly, they needed to overcome fear. Look at verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. He starts with a question, have I not commanded you? That's a rhetorical question. The answer to that is obviously, yeah, this is a command. I recently read that there are 365 fear knots in the Bible. That's about one a day. And isn't that just about what we need? About every day, we need to be reminded, don't fear. We face things in our lives that can overwhelm us, things that can just rock us to our core. We have to remind ourselves, no, God says, don't fear. Satan has a lot of tools that he uses to bring Christians to a place of discouragement and defeat. And one of his most effective is fear. And that's, quite frankly, why some of us won't share the gospel. Because we're afraid. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid somebody will ask a question we're not prepared for. That's Satan getting to us, and we can't do that. We've got to act on this. That's why the most unparalleled promise at the end of our text is so powerful for us today. 
The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 2024 is going to be a time of great trans- transitions can, which can bring us some fear. Are we ever going to get rid of COVID? What happens if COVID comes back again? What if it's worse than the last time? I survived it once. Will I survive it the next time? These are all questions of fear. Who's going to be the next president? And oh, don't get us started on all the complications of that question and the fears that we have. What new laws and policies are going to take place that are going to restrict our freedoms even more? Will 2024 be the year when the American government for the first time outlaws Christianity? I believe that day's coming. Could it be in 2024? I don't know. But it can be a fear that can control us. How will we go about making the changes that we need to make to accomplish a four initiatives of this year? That can be a fearful thing. How do we know what kind of siding to put on the church? How do we know what kind of renovations we should do? How do we know how much money we should put toward this? How do we know whether we should have a capital campaign to try to raise the funds? Just things that we as elders sit back and we say, well, we've got to work through this. We've got, to put for, we've got to move forward in faith, not in fear. Here's the principle for us to hang on to. Something for 2024. We must face what is facing us knowing that God has a plan for fallen creation. And that's you and me. Joshua had his problems too. We've got to face what is facing us, knowing that God has a plan. I don't know what that plan is, but I know this. If I can delight in His Word, and if I can keep myself rich by being in a relationship with Him, that can be more easily revealed to me. We have the same promise as believers in Jesus Christ that God gave to Joshua as he began his work. Matthew 28, 20. The final words of Jesus to his disciples were this. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the thing that buoys my spirits as we go into this new year. He is our Emmanuel, God with us. One day we are going to be with him physically and spiritually. The one who has been with us during our earthly pilgrimage. In the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, speaking of the end of time as we know it, here's what people will say at that time. It says there in Revelation, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people And God Himself will be with them and will be their God. Be strong and courageous this year when you face trials and struggles. Be strong and courageous when you get a chance at a new beginning. The God who spoke the universe into existence speaks to us now through the Word of God. Get into it. Learn it. Study it. Do it. That's the real prosperity gospel. That's the real source of strength for us as believers. There will be a moment today 
or tomorrow or this week or next month or this year where each of us is going to ask the question, where am I going to find the courage to face what I'm facing? I don't know what that's going to look like for me, and I don't know what it's going to look like for you, but I know that's going to happen to every one of us. Joshua gives us the answer. Remember your God who is always with you. As a child of God, you're never left battle this world on your own. I want to be sure to say, as I conclude my message today, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, you need to do that. I don't know how you would face 2024 without it. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross as your only hope of ever be having a relationship with a holy God who cannot tolerate your sinfulness. And it's only then that we can face some of the same promises that God gave to Joshua. And we can go forth into 2024 in boldness and in courage with the promise of God's blessing on our as we dedicate ourselves to him and his word. Let's pray. Your word, Father, is the source of truth in our lives. Other lies are shouted and screamed before our faces. And that's why we are Open Bible Church. We are about the Bible the word of God. Your word is a lamp and a light. It has to be our delight as we move into this next year. We pray that you would faith, give us the faith to move in that direction. In Jesus' name.